3CR would like to acknowledge the Kulin Nations, true owners, caretakers, and custodians of the lands from which we broadcast. 3CR pays respect to elders past and present of the Kulin Nations. We recognize their unceded sovereignty. This is 3CR Breakfast. Alternative news, analysis and current affairs. Monday to Friday, 7am to 8.30am. Good morning, listeners. You're on Thursday morning breakfast on 3CR 855 AM. Good morning, Inez. Good morning. I'm awake, I think. Yay. <laughs> well, Yay. that's, uh, I mean, that's all you have to be, really. That's the, that's the prerequisite is you have to be awake. Yeah. Um, Nailed it. Yes, exactly. Amazing. <laughs> My sincere apologies to our wonderful co-host, Malika, who I was meant to call in for this rundown, but I didn't have time. But you will be hearing from Malika in our first interview for today. So maybe we will jump into our rundown. Do you want to take it away? Absolutely. We have a wonderful show jam-packed today. Uh, so starting off, we have Mercedes Renegade Activist. And Mercedes Zenka is a producer and host of 3CR's Uprise Radio and an anti-military activist with Renegade Activist. Conveyors of the Rockus Anti Orcus Caucus, sorry, um, online symposiums. Mercedes joins us to update, provide updates on Orcus, the trilateral security pact between Australia, United Kingdom, and United States announced late last year. Cool. And um, after that, we're going to hear some speakers from Free Palestine, Melbourne's Nakba Day and Justice for Shirin Abu Akhle rally, which was held on Nakba Day, which is May the 15th. And that was this past Sunday. This was recorded by Annie McLaughlin from 3CR. And there were a, a number of different speakers there and, you know, glad to be able to bring it back to people and remind folks about why we should be uh, amplifying the voices of Palestinians and continuing the fight for justice and self-determination for Palestinians. Absolutely. Um, and then we are joined by Selena Rapanis, who is a graphic designer who designed VoiceWorks magazine from 2020 until recently. And she also co-runs Amici Studio. She's running a graphic design as world-building workshop for the National Editing and Writing Students Conference. And she joins us today to share their journey to graphic design, how to build worlds, and how to create creative and authentic work. The online workshop will run tomorrow, Friday, 20th of May at 12 p.m. Awesome. And finally, we're going to be joined by Tamar Hopkins, who's going to speak with us about concerns with proactive policing operations by Victoria Police and attendant issues with accountability, scrutiny and oversight. And Tamar is a lawyer and researcher who's worked in the area of police accountability, police powers and racial profiling since 2005. And she's currently working for the Inner Melbourne Community Legal Centre on a COVID policing project. So, um, yeah, very important to keep up to date on all of this stuff. But the last Last one in particular I'm interested in hearing about because there's been some recent reporting about um, Operation Alliance, which just wrapped up. Uh, it was a Victoria Police operation, which involved a lot of, well, shall we say, potentially unlawful stops of people. Who would have thought? Who would have thought? Um, but Tamara's going to tell us more about that. Um, yeah, that's what we've got on for the show today. Always, always a big week, um, but so glad to be with you on this uh, frosty morning. One thing I found out this week is uh, merino is no joke. My underarms are tropical, but my hands are frozen little claws. And you still won't get gloves? I still won't get gloves. Absolutely not. No. They're on Thursday morning breakfast on 3CR 855 AM.
Trans Family is a not-for-profit organization providing a peer support group for loved ones including parents, siblings, extended family, and friends of a trans and gender diverse person. Trans Family runs discussion groups in person and online. We offer a safe space to share your experiences, ask any questions regarding your situation, and provide peer support. We are especially keen to hear from loved ones in regional and rural Victoria. Donations to Trans Family are tax deductible. For more information, visit transfamily.org.au or look for us on Facebook. Trans Family is a 3CR supporter. And we're back on Thursday morning breakfast on 3CR, 855 AM. And we're going to jump into the news headlines for Thursday, the 19th of May. So I'll kick it off. And as you want to take it away after me. Um, so first up, ahead of the federal election this week, the Australian Electoral Commission has admitted that some polling stations in remote parts of Australia could be forced to close due to staff shortages. Advocates say that this will amount to voter suppression, leaving thousands of First Nations people unable to vote. And the AEC has suggested that people in areas experiencing shortages should put up their hand to work polling booths. However, past workers in regional and remote areas say that their experiences with hours of unpaid overtime means they will not work another election again. And for people to find out more information about that, I encourage you to visit GetUp, where they have uh, published some, uh, yeah, some of their Uh, analysis of this recent concern about um, a lack of polling stations in remote Australia and effectively preventing First Nations people in their homelands from voting. Yep, and in other news, a recent audit by VicPol's oversight body has found that Victoria Police failed to effectively handle complaints by First Nations people. Failures include concerning indications of bias and conflicts of interest from officers, with the audit highlighting that no complaints alleging assault were found to be substantiated, despite this being the most common allegation examined in the audit. The report found that officers frequently minimised the seriousness of allegations without inappropriate comments from civilian witnesses and scrutinised the complainant's background or criminal history. Based on report findings, Victoria Police has been urged to form a dedicated system to deal with future complaints made by First Nations people. Also in the headlines, a recent uh, investigation has revealed that First Nations people in the Northern Territory receive just 16% of Medicare funding of the average Australian. The report released by The Conversation highlights that Medicare subsidies flow in areas where there are doctors, but uneven workforce distribution means that people in areas without GPs cannot benefit from these subsidies. There is currently no effective policy to address this inequality, and the federal government... um, the federal government's healthcare funding reform trial that rolled out in 2021 has been discontinued despite healthcare workers noting its success in improving healthcare access. And I will pass to Leela for our final headline. And finally in headlines today, Australia's latest wage data released this week has been labelled a horror result, showing real wages down by 2.5% in the past 12 months, one of the fastest and steepest declines ever. Data from the Australian Bureau of Statistics shows wages have failed to keep pace with inflation in the first quarter of this year, with the consumer price index growing twice as fast. Economists are calling for government intervention as major parties bicker over cost-of-living issues ahead of the election. These have been the news headlines for Thursday the 19th of May. 
You're listening to 3CR. PX Fano is a Pacifica LGBTIQ plus podcast providing a platform for Pacifica communities to unpack and discuss the narratives and the effects of the COVID-19 pandemic. Presented by Pacific X, a collective that celebrates Pacific Island LGBTIQ plus communities through meaningful connections that honours cultural and gender identities. You can catch the podcast series every Sunday during Out of the Pan at around 12.30pm or on your favourite podcast platform. Supported by 3CR and funded by the Victorian Government Multicultural Communications Outreach Programme. For more information, go to 3cr.org.au forward slash out of the pan. Every Wednesday at 11am, join me, Bunjalini, at the fire on Community Radio 3CR. Three hours of historically informed, critical analysis of Aboriginal affairs and the ongoing political movement for land rights, treaty, sovereignty and the cessation of genocide. Featuring the best of black music... Bundles Fire, 11am to 2pm, every Wednesday on Community Radio 3CR. And now, uh, just to jazz up your morning, we are going to play a song by Melbourne-based producer Mild Minds, and this is Formations. Just don't let that get up And break me into pieces again Just don't let that get up And break me into pieces again 
You're listening to Thursday Morning Breakfast on 3CR 855 AM, and that was Formations by Melbourne producer Mild Minds. And we're now going to go to an interview with Mercedes Anker, and Malika is going to take us into that. Thank you, Priya. Um, we are now going to be joined by Mercedes Zanker, who's a producer and host on 3CR's Uprise Radio and an anti-military activist with Renegade Activist, conveners of the Raucous Anti-Orcus Caucus online symposium. Mercedes joins us to provide updates on Orcus, which is the trilateral security pact between Australia, the United Kingdom and the United States, which was announced late last year. Morning, Mercedes. Thanks for joining us this morning. Hi, Malika. Thanks for having me. Oh, Thank you for joining us. Um, I guess just jumping straight into it, could you share a bit about what renegade activists have done over the last couple of months, particularly in relation to the Raucous Anti-Orcus Caucus online symposium? Yeah, sure. So after the Orcus announcement in September last year, renegade activists, um, we convened three Raucous Anti-Orcus Caucuses. Um, so there were online symposiums where we heard from a, a pretty big range of speakers on all of the issues around AUKUS and kind of military-related issues more broadly. Um, so we had some really good guests um, come and join us on, like Arnie Suga, Coleman Hazeldean, Dave Sweeney, and uh, someone from the conflict, Lindsay Cottle from the Conflict and Environment Observatory. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, so the symposiums were also a little bit of a, a action info session to talk about different resistance actions happening across the country, um, which culminated in the day of action, in, uh, in the weekend of action, rather, in December last year. Yeah. And since the announcement of August in September last year, have there been any other major developments on this, quote, forever partnership? Yeah, look, there have been, um, and, it, and quite a few of those uh, are also, you know, part of the budget that was released a little while ago. But I'll just maybe speak to a couple more in the last month um, that are particularly mm. concerning for us. So, um, last month, the USS Springfield, which is a nuclear-powered and armed sub, uh, was at the HMAS Sterling, which is a naval base just south of Fremantle in Perth, and it was there for a training exercise. And so mm-hmm. it's not uncommon for US and UK nuke subs to be hanging around Sterling, but for this particular training exercise, um, the aim was to reload nuclear weapons from within an Australian port. And so this is the first time that an exercise like this has happened here. And so with the Springfield being at Sterling, um, alongside that came the housing for the Tomahawk land cruise missile, which was used in the exercise. So um, that was the USS Frank Cable, which, as my comrade Jacob Grech has described it as a floating warehouse for the US sub fleet. So within a year of the announcement, we've got nuke-powered subs and armed nuke-armed subs and their warehouses containing the nuclear-armed weapons um, Mm. floating just outside of Perth, really. Um, And so, you know, another thing that's happening at the moment, it commenced on May the 16th. So at Jarvis Bay, there are about 300 people from various military and industry organisations um, in all of, from Australia, the US and the UK, so all of the countries that are part of the AUKUS Pact. And they're gathering at the moment for Exercise Autonomous Warrior 2022. And so this is a like an exhibition or an exercise that runs for two weeks. And I'm just going to quote, uh, just to give listeners an idea about what it's about. So this is a quote from the Royal Australian Navy Commodore Darren Kavanagh. Uh, and so this is an, an exciting opportunity to showcase the utility and advantages of uncrewed systems in a variety of warfare domains. Um, 
So, you know, they're gathering at, at Jarvis Bay and this exercise is to test these capabilities in scenarios like undersea warfare in response to threats in the Indo-Pacific. Um, so it's kind of pretty concerning, especially given that the justification of AUKUS, a big part of the justification is rests on this idea of a free and open Indo-Pacific um, yeah. and really all of the exercises that are happening are increased militarisation. Yeah, it's frankly quite terrifying. And I guess you started speaking a bit to this, but one component of this partnership is having nuclear submarines without having any kind of nuclear, like local nuclear industry. Is this one pathway for Australia to create a local nuclear industry and what are some of the implications for this? Um, yeah, so it, it most definitely is. And I think that, I mean, the biggest issue that I see about Australia developing a nuclear industry um, is that Australia destruction, the, the most concerning implication is that the destruction that will come for First Nations communities in their country. Yeah. Um, so, you know, for years now there's been an ongoing fight to stop nuclear waste dumps, um, particularly at Walla Bedina on Andamatya country and really more recently at Kimba on Bangala country. Um, so, yeah, on Bangala country that's an ongoing battle and the local communities there have been excluded from any discussions regarding the nuclear waste facility and attempts have been made to remove their any right of legal challenge to any decisions. So, you know, the development of nuclear industry doesn't just come from the mining, the processing, but also um, at, at the other end what, of what happens to nuclear waste. Yeah. Um, so another element of that, of also the AUKUS Pact, is the development of a rare earth mining sector which rare earths are also already mined in Australia, um, but the implications of Australian companies in processing uh, and just more recently um, the US Department of Defence has uh, put into Congress um, permissions to start funding rare earth processing facilities in Australia and the UK. Um, mm. So... Given that these minerals are considered vital for economic well-being as part of, you know, critical minerals, as we've seen with policies, um, any government of the time has geared its policy towards extracting as, as much raw material as possible, and this really comes at the expense of the First Nations communities on the front lines. Yeah, and it, it's really seeking to just need to have like future-focused policy, which doesn't really seem like is the case with this one, and. Over the last week, AUKUS has been front and centre in the news, particularly due to the recent news that the Labor leader and senior frontbenchers were only informed about the deal the day before the announcement, despite one of the conditions requiring bipartisan support. And there's also been talks about what the cost of scrapping the deal with the French government will be, and that is unknown too. Could you kind of speak to this point as well? Yeah, for sure. So... It's kind of a bit of a funny one. Um, you know, this, to me, this seems like a little bit more of a point scoring exercise. Like, yeah. there are so many problematic things within the AUKUS pact, but the fact that, um, the, the problem here rests in the fact that, you know, Labor wasn't told early enough. You know, it, it does appear to me as if the details in the pact already have bipartisan support in a funny way, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, because there really hasn't been a lot of discussions about the broader implications of the pact and increased militarisation, um, and let alone you know political pushback um, from right across the political spectrum. That's kind of been pretty pretty limited. Um, so 
on the cost benefit, you know, um, and the cost benefit analysis of uh, scrapping the, the French submarine deal. So, submarines since the 80s, when Australia first started to develop its sovereign submarine capacity, have never really succeeded in a cost benefit analysis and haven't, like, in a, in a particular way of speaking, uh, haven't been considered to be worth their uh, any funds acquired for Australia's particular interests. And so the French sub deal, as it stood, and I mean any subs, I would say, as <laughs> obviously, um, yeah. was never going to be financially viable anyway. And it was also outdated tech, which was the reason why we sort of changed as well. So the cost of scrapping the deal has already plunged even deeper. And yeah. you, know, you were right to mention the unknown cost associating with scrapping the deal and also of what's going to be spent on developing nuclear subcapacity and also the ports, because the public expenditure on submarines has always been obscured from public scrutiny and are unable to be truly justified, and that's since the development in the 80s. So historically until now, that's kind of always been a little bit hidden. Yeah, yeah, that's such an important point to raise. And with all of this, um, it, it sounds like last year having those online symposiums was a great way to kind of build awareness and build information sharing um, and reflection. Will, will Renegade Activists be running any more events similar to the caucuses that ran last year? Um, look, we do hope to in the future. We've had a little bit of a hiatus this year. Um, obviously, we're still continuing to do the research. It's sort of a, a never-ending task and in providing information. Um, yeah. You know, and it's really great to have the opportunity, you know, with the good folks at 3CR like yourself to be able to talk about this because there are, you know, pretty few avenues for the work that we do in anti-militarism. Um, so there are actions going in, you know, Sydney have a group um, and, you know, there's a various peace networks across the country that are, uh, you know, constantly acting in resistance to this. But I definitely think that... Um, throwing, you know, people throwing their support behind campaigns of resisting nuclear and military expansion, um, you know, campaigns like supporting the bungalow is really, really important. And, you know, in election week as well, just keeping things at the fore, you know, and talking about these policies, making sure you're asking the questions and challenging uh, what, what is actually happening and making our resistance heard. Yeah, completely true. And Lastly, how can people kind of support the work that you and Renegade activists are doing? What's the best way to follow along and support? Um, <laughs> best way to support? I suppose at the moment, you know, um, I do really encourage listeners. Um, a couple of the things that I mentioned earlier, I encourage listeners to tune into 3CR for a Friday rave at 5 o'clock this Friday. And so my comrade, who, um, who's with Renegade Activist, Jacob Grek, is going to talk, you know, we'll talk about AUKUS um, much more deeply than I've, um, than I have here. Um, and so, you know, I definitely encourage listeners to tune in then. Um, we, if anyone's interested, you can jump on our website. It's renegadeactivist.org. And so we've got all of the, the videos from the online symposiums uh, up there as well. And there's a couple of links. Um, so people can jump on this Patreon account there if you know if that's the way that people want to do it, or just get in touch and um, reach out. And we've got a few articles and things on there, and just 
keep hitting the streets when we can. No, thank you so much for joining us this morning, Mercedes, and kind of sharing those updates and a bit about what what renegade activists are doing, and we'll definitely put all those links in our show page as well for today's episode. Thanks so much, Thanks. Malika. Thanks again, Mercedes. And you just heard from Mercedes Zanka and Malika, um, our excellent co-hosts. And Mercedes is a producer and co-host on 3CR's Uprise Radio and an anti-military activist with renegade activists, conveners of the raucous anti-AUKUS caucus online symposiums. And Mercedes joined us to provide updates on AUKUS, the trilateral security pact between Australia, the United Kingdom, and the United States that was announced last year. And as Malika mentioned, we'll put some links up to, um, yeah, to those uh, the information that Mercedes referred to in that interview. And again, uh, catch Uprise Radio 5 p.m. this Friday on 3CR 855 a.m. Or you might be uh, streaming live on 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming. Remember, that's always an option if you don't have a good radio frequency or if you're one of those people like me who, for some reason, does radio but doesn't have a radio. Anyway, speaking of radio and radio being great, our Radiothon is going to be launching next month. So let's hear a little bit about that. FreeCR's annual Radiothon fundraiser launches in June. We need your financial support to be independent, community controlled and focused on people rather than profits. Your support during Radiothon keeps the station strong and enables us to give voice to hundreds of people and issues for another year. And remember, any amount you can afford makes a big difference and all donations over $2 are tax deductible. 3CR Radiothon, show your support during June 2022. 3CR, keep community strong. And we're back on Thursday morning breakfast on 3CR 855 AM. And now we're going to hear from some speakers from Free Palestine's Melbourne Nakba Day and Justice for Shireen Abu Akhla Rally, which was recorded on May 15 by Annie McLaughlin. I'd like to thank everyone for coming out here today in a cold Melbourne morning. We're here for a horrible, horrible reason and a heartbreaking reason. Before we begin, I think it's extremely important that we provide an acknowledgement of country because it's the indigenous people here in Australia who have felt the pain and the persecution that the Palestinians also experience. I would like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation who are the traditional custodians of this land. I would also like to pay my respects to their elders, both past, present and emerging, and extend that respect to other indigenous Australians here present today and other Torres Strait Islanders. Aboriginal land was never ceded. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land. We stand here today on stolen ground and we pay our respect and acknowledge the indigenous people of this country. We as Palestinians understand that pain. We understand the pain of being persecuted, murdered and driven from our homes and brandished as being violent, subhuman and not worth feeling any pain, remorse or empathy for the violence that we've experienced under the hands of the brutal apartheid system. Israel is increasingly being shown for the 
brutality that it is, the violent system of colonial expansion, destruction of Palestinian homes, identity, lives, living under a brutal apartheid system that is there to dominate and destroy our very existence. Increasingly, we're seeing this come out into the media and people here in Melbourne and around the world are waking up and saying this is not all right, this is not okay. We need to stand with the Palestinian people. And you being here today is a testament to that. There's a particularly painful day for Palestinians because it's the day that we call the Nakba. It is the day that the Israelis came and forcibly expelled hundreds of thousands of Palestinians at the barrel of a gun from their homes, murdering, slaughtering and massacring them. And it continues to this very day. And only just recently, with the executional murder of a famous Palestinian journalist, Shireen Abu Aflik, shame, where she was killed in cold blood for purely reporting the atrocities of the Israeli state and showing the daily lived experiences of Palestinians under the West Bank in 1948 and in Gaza. So from the river to the sea, free, free Palestine! Free, free Palestine! And we will not be silenced or intimidated because let us be clear, the Israeli state and all its supporters are very, very well armed and ex exploit situations and try to intimidate anyone who speaks for Palestine. And it is people like you who are brave enough to stand on the right of history, to stand on the right of human rights and stand with Palestinians and say, we will not be cowed, we will not be silent. We will come out and we will speak up because we know that we stand with human rights. And we will not support an apartheid, violent, genocidal state. Now, thank you. Free, free Palestine! Free, free Palestine! We will not be silenced! We will not be silenced! Thank you, everyone. Now, we are going to be loud and proud on the streets of Melbourne today because for the last over 70 years, the Palestinian people have something that they call as Sumud. We are patient but we are also resistant. We will not be complacent and we will not accept your brutality. We will stand with our heads proud and we will speak up against adversity and against your violence. Now our speakers today are Palestinians who experience generational trauma from the Nakbi till now. And our first speaker is a young Palestinian woman called Zena. Zena Fadis. Please give her a warm welcome. Hi everyone. Again, I would like to acknowledge that we are meeting here on unceded land of the Wurundjeri people and pay my respects to their leaders, past, present, emerging. The Palestinian fight for justice is one for indigenous people everywhere, but especially those whose lands we live on. Today marks 74 years since the initial Nakba of 1948. In 74 years, the keys to my family home have rusted in the bottom drawer. 
even as that home still stands. When I finally returned to Palestine, my great-grandmother's prized garden, the backdrop to my mother's story, lay in disrepair. The ramifications of this catastrophe are seen in oppression and violence, but also in silence. It is the erasure of our existence and my great-grandmother's dying fig trees. My story is one among many others that sound eerily similar. It is not particularly unique or special, but it is necessary to tell because our stories come together to form a movement, this movement. Today, there is no proof of the power of storytelling more significant than the reprehensible murder of Shireen Abu Ase. Her storytelling focused on giving voices to the humans in the struggle that we are daughters and sons and we are fathers and mothers and despite our distance, our hearts and minds are connected through her. Here today it is clear that through our voices she is immortalized in a way no violence can touch. I invite you to approach this Nakba, our catastrophe, not as something just to commemorate. This is not some long past historical event to remember quietly on May 15th every year. The catastrophe persists. The illegal evictions in occupied territories like Sheikh Shadrach, they still occur. The blockade wall around Gaza remains upright. Ethnic cleansing still occurs. It is, an, it is more obvious, more than ever, that the freedom and protection of the press remains under attack. The Nakba is ongoing and so too is our role in it. Today, let yourself mourn what has been lost and those who have been taken. Find time to, re to reflect on what once was. Take a moment to feel helpless and angry and desperate, but only take a moment. Because as long as this Nakba persists, so will we. There is change happening here and now, and it has started with voices like Shireen's. And it continues with yours and mine. Palestine can be found in the land, but her murder makes it starkly apparent that Palestine exists beyond borders. It is also its people. It is this movement. It is the food. It is the poetry. It is this rally today. But most of all, Palestine is alive and found in our voices and our stories as we shout that we are here and we exist unapologetically. Tonight, we put aside our mourning. And tomorrow, and every day following that, we fight for what is yet to be gained, for what will be returned. Because the rust, it can be removed from the keys and we can return to our homes and we can sow new seeds in our grandmother's gardens. And tomorrow, Palestine will be free. Thank you. Thank you, Zana. For many of us Palestinians, we have not had the chance to visit our homeland or to see our birthplace or to see the land of our ancestors. But we carry Palestine in our hearts, as do every other oppressed indigenous population, because you cannot take that identity away from us. You cannot silence who we are. Being Palestinian is more than just where you were born. Being Palestinian is a form of resistance and identity against oppression. So for everyone here who may not have a generational link with Palestine, 
You are also Palestinian. We are all Palestinian. So we stand together and we say, free, free Palestine. to 3CR 855 AM and you just heard from some of the wonderful speakers from Free Palestine's Melbourne Nakba Day and Justice for Shireen Abu Akhla Rally recorded on May 15 by Annie McLaughlin. Yes, and uh, if you want to hear more about that and more excellent reflections on Palestine and information about what's going on from some of our own 3CR producers, you can catch the Palestine Remembered Show on 3CR 855 AM, Saturdays at 9.30 AM. And now, uh, just to bring up the energy a little bit, get a little bit of your dance going, uh, we're going to play a song from Haiku Hands, who are a very uh, energetic collective, and the song is called Fashion Model Art. Fashion Model Model Art, 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 Fashion, Fashion Model Model Art, 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 Art. I want to talk about myself. I just know a lot about art. I'm sorry I forgot your name. Tell me what it is you do. Fashion, fashion, model, model, art, 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 art. Fashion, fashion, model, model, art, 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 art. Fashion, fashion, model, model, art, 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 art. Fashion, fashion, model, model, art.
You've just heard Fashion Model Art by Haiku Hands and Sophie Tucker. Um, and now we'll be going into another fun tune. <laughs> Oh, yep, sorry, my <laughs> mic was off, but sometimes this happens. We're going to be listening to White Noise by Dancing Water. just heard <laughs> the song White Noise by Dancing Water. Incredible. My, my sincerest apologies. I think my brain has left the building. Um, I will find it again soon. No, that's all right. Um, you know, sometimes these things happen. Um, we are, after all, a bunch of incredible volunteers here at 3CR. Mm. And uh, just, again, a reminder for our amazing Radiothon, which is coming up in June. I'm going to keep annoying people about this until it happens. And then while Radiothon is happening, um, I'm going to be promoting it even more. And, um, yeah. 
So that's it. Radiothon coming up in June on 3CR. Get ready to add your support during our annual Radiothon and help keep communities strong. 3CR Radiothon Fundraiser, June 2022. To donate, call 03 9419 8377 or donate online at 3cr.org.au. 3CR Radiothon 2022. Keep communities strong. Proud black man, proud black man, you should not wonder. Strong spirit, First Nations issues, families, people and stories from a First Nations perspective. Mondays at 1pm on 3CR. Proud black man, proud black man, you should not wonder. Accented women. It seems so obvious to me that if you live in a, in a completely violent um, cultural milieu that it's going to translate into every aspect of women's lives. Accented women. What's a border? They don't see it like a big wall right along the How the can country. people live ordinary lives when they're living in such an extraordinary situation where there are, two, where there are armies there and terrorists there and such conflict every single day of their lives? Accented women. A show by and about women from culturally and linguistically diverse backgrounds. On Community Radio 3CR. They're pulling on the boots in Brazil and wiping off the eggshells in Moorabbin. Fascism's on the march and we say, yeah, nah. Yenna Passaran is a new weekly program on 3CR dedicated to tracking this rise in Australia, Aotearoa and all around our increasingly warm little globe. Every Thursday at 4.30pm, we'll be talking to writers and fighters about some angry blighters. And now we are joined by the wonderful, evanescent Solana Rapiales, who's a graphic designer who designed VoiceWix magazine from 2020 until recently. She also runs Amuchi Studio, and she's running the graphic design as world-building workshop for the National Editing and Writing Students Conference. And she joins us today to speak about this event. How are you this morning? Hi, Ines. I'm good. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. I'm awake. <laughs> Thanks for coming on the show. Very appreciated. Oh, thank you. Thanks for your kind introduction. Too. <laughs> uh, no problem. Um, well, how about we start off with, would you mind maybe speaking briefly about uh, what you do, Selena, and your journey into graphic design? Uh, yeah, um, so I am a graphic designer here on Orangery Country. Um, I studied graphic design for about four years at Monash University um, and since then I've worked for a range of different places from VoiceWorks magazine as you mentioned um, to my current job. I'm a designer at the Centre for Excellence in Child and Family Welfare um, and I've worked in the capacity um, of a freelancer, contractor and now I work in a permanent role. Um, I've always had an interest in graphic design but I don't think I really knew what graphic design meant until um, a little bit later in my life. Um, I always wanted to get involved in something with like fine art or advertising and then someone at the 
suggested communication design, which is the name of my course, um, as it's kind of a practical way to engage in creative work. Um, yeah, since then, I've, I've really enjoyed being a designer. Um, I kind of like it because there's endless options and endless answers to one problem, um, which think of quotes problem. <laughs> um, and I've never been a very um, logic-oriented thinker, so it feels really good to make work that has a strong creative voice and considers affect primarily rather than um, anything else, yeah. Yeah, it's really wonderful being able to look at design as um, lots of solutions to different quote-unquote problems. Um, mm. And it feels like you you have such a large range of diverse work and I know in the workshop you'll probably be speaking about this um would you mind maybe speaking on like maybe what the conference is about and what world building through design means to you yeah yeah oh it's really nice of you to shout it out so the conference actually starts today um the conference is called news um and it is run by express media um and express media published voice works um and all of the projects are aimed to uplift and support young emerging writers and creators who want to break into the literary world because it can be um, a very daunting sort of thing to approach. Um, and the news conference is yeah, a two-day digital conference today and tomorrow. Um, and my workshop is tomorrow, um, tomorrow at midday. Um, it is called World Building Through Graphic Design. Um, so I kind of yeah, I use this phrase world building as it's a nice way to conceptualize the work that designers can do. Um, so, for example, people might think that a graphic designer makes logos all day, but a designer would probably prefer them to say that they're a brand identity designer. Um, but then we sort of get in this issue of using jargon, and I think it's nice to reconceptualize how we consider our work and not get bogged down in random terms. But might not mean much to everybody. Um, world building is how I like to approach a project, consider the world it exists in, what it should feel like, what it should look like, who should be there, what voices can we listen to while we're in it, and so on. Yeah, I feel like being able to look at um, the world that it exists in is a really beautiful way to approach design. And mm. honestly, I also feel that maybe sometimes graphic design is... Uh, sometimes a bit misunderstood like people do think that you're sitting at a desk all day making logos um, <laughs> which which maybe is part of the job a little bit but I guess yeah. what do you wish uh, people knew about graphic design um I'm not really sure I think I think we could all have a much healthier relationship with um brand identity products and ourselves um brands are quite intoxicating and can influence our lives to such a dramatic extent and it's probably a good thing to remind ourselves that graphic design is actually very, very impactful and has the power to influence harm. But on the other hand, it can also influence good. So in this way, it's kind of like advertising, but it can I feel it can be a little bit more um, understated because it centers around aesthetics. Um, so I think that's something that um, is good to keep in mind. Yeah, um, I know that... <laughs> It, there's a there's such a big range to it as well, and I know that um, previously you've also mentioned like making apparel, but also looking at how the apparel moves with the body um, as opposed to just a flat <laughs> um, screen. 
on yeah. the T-shirt. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, I really love um, working with print. It's so it's so rewarding. It's been really cool um, designing voice works for the past two years, and I'd really encourage anyone to get involved. It's um, uh, open for any people under 25. So oh, wonderful. Yeah. Well, we'll put it definitely put it in our show notes. Um, yeah. And also when I was reading over the conference, a lot of it sounds like it's trying to foster a sense of community with a lot of emerging writers, and that's something we also foster at 3CR Community Radio. (laughs) Um, How have you seen, I guess, community being formed through design, either by yourself or your peers? Because it sounds like it's something that you really value. Yeah, um, I think it kind of leans into community. Graphic design does very well. because graphic design is ultimately a service. Um, and, yeah, graphic design can't really exist without a message or a team to convey it. It kind of can't exist on its own, um, like many other things, I suppose. Um, so design has allowed me a channel to collaborate with people. Um, and it's been it's been really powerful because I think... Um, it's kind of given me an opportunity to do so many things that I probably wouldn't have been able to do otherwise. Um, and just working with all sorts of people, um, at the moment, I've had a really great time working with, um, Chelsea Hopper, who's running 99% Gallery at the Nicholas Building. And that project I've been collaborating on with, um, James Meadowcroft and Liz Luby, who I work with under Amici. Um, and there's just so many different um, things I suppose that I'm able to do with design. It's 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 very multifaceted. It kind of just goes on and yeah. Yeah, I feel like you know even with all the workshops that you run or the designs that you've made for um, well for like apparel for for bands. I feel like all of that does cultivate a sense of community and everyone's talking about the design and it's yeah. like a starting point of a conversation even for strangers. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's kind of like, I mean, it's no secret that graphic design is just, like, really fun. <laughs> that's, kind of, that's kind of just what it is, um, and it's, yeah, as you're saying, it, it, it brings people together, something to talk about. Yeah, uh, I guess also being uh, an experienced graphic designer, but also uh, with, you know, a lot of experiences and exciting opportunities ahead of you, what do you think that you could say or support with people sorry what do you think that um you could give maybe some advice to anybody that may be interested in design but particularly making their work creative and authentic yeah um it's a good question i think the a good way around it is to work with your friends or peers um so fortunate for me i work with two of my best friends and we design together and it it allows us to sort of like really support each other and um, make these really creative ideas that otherwise I feel that I wouldn't be able to come up with myself. It's like this um, really nice generative vibe. Um, (laughs) But I, yeah, I would really recommend just um, trying to work with people and I suppose not everyone would know um, other graphic designers, but it, that could even be working with someone who has a project and they need a little spot of design and that's what you can bring to it. Um, but it, yeah, it's pretty, 
it's pretty rewarding when you're able to work with sort of peers on your level. Um, of course, also, you know, working for, um, I don't know, in your job, mm. it, it might be a little bit more removed. That is also really great because you're learning skills, but there is something quite powerful about working with your peers and seeing what you can come up with together. Yeah, absolutely. Um, have you run into any challenges as well, like when you started to run Amici Studios? Because it's, it's an amazing thing to run a, like a business, essentially, with your three, two, two other friends. Yeah, um, thank you. Um, yeah, it's been it's been funny. I think it sort of just came to be because when we graduated, I studied with them, mm-hmm. and when we graduated from university, it was the pandemic. Um, that's not that's a quite a clunky way to say it. It was the <laughs> pandemic, um, but it was, and um, it sort of became like a viable way for us to consider um, how to do graphic design in the real world. So, yeah, that's that's how it kind of came to be. And since then, it's been um, really great. I think we've somehow managed to. Um, gain the support of a lot of people and a lot of people are coming to us to work on um, projects. So it's it's just been incredible. Um, yeah, I think a challenge is definitely that you can sort of second guess your ability to do things, which is why it's very helpful to have two others because chances are if I don't feel like I know how to approach this project, one of the other two will and and goes the other way um and it's just a, a good way to sort of motivate and keep going and be like no we can we can do this and we can learn um yeah yeah it's almost like having the most fun accountability partners that you could have <laughs> yeah, <exactly>. <laughs> <laughs> um well just to wrap up uh how can people keep up with you or amici or the conference tell us all the goss <laughs> yeah so um Maybe best way to check out me and Amici is through Instagram. Um, so my Instagram is Selmia, S-E-L-N-E-A, and Amici's Instagram is amici.studio, A-M-I-C-I dot studio. Mm-hmm. And for the workshop, um, the workshop is today. Um, sorry, not today, tomorrow. Tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> it goes from midday to one. Yep. And it is via video call, so anyone anywhere is welcome to tune in. Um, so to go to one workshop, a ticket is $15, um, but the workshop is part of the larger news conference, and if you'd like to buy a conference pass, that is $25, and that includes an Express Media membership, which is um, a great thing because it means you'll be sent all issues of VoiceWorks, which... I hope I'm not getting that detail wrong, So, <laughs> um, but I would recommend you get a pass and yep. you can attend other workshops and events during the conference. There's so many amazing creators presenting, including the past VoiceWorks editor, Adalia Nash Hussein, talking about the editing process, um, something she is so knowledgeable about, and, yeah, she speaks of it. Um, very, it's, it's, it's really interesting hearing from her about editing, um, and there's some other really amazing creators who will be talking as well, like Carly Stone, Elizabeth Flux, and Leah Jean McIntosh. Um, yeah, and I'll hopefully see you at my workshop. Um, spots are limited, so if you can come, that would be fantastic. 
Well, we'll keep um, all of those notes in our show notes for anybody that wants to attend. And you better get these workshop tickets because they got <laughs> they're selling like hotcakes. So <laughs> you better get them <laughs> ASAP. <laughs> but thanks so much for coming on the show, Selena, um, and spending a bit of your morning with us on 3CR. Oh, thank you so much, Inez. It's been awesome. Hope you have a great day. You too. Bye. And that was an interview with Selena Rapanis, who's a graphic designer who designed VoiceWorks magazine from 2020 until recently. And she also co-runs Amici Studio and is running the Graphic Design as World Building Workshop for the National Editing and Writing Students Conference, or NEWS. And Selena joined us today to share her journey into graphic design, how to build worlds, and how to create, uh, sorry, how to create creative and authentic work. And um, as discussed in that interview, her online workshop is going to run tomorrow, Friday, the 20th of May at 12 p.m. And we'll have information about how to attend in the show notes and, yeah, really encourage all young writers to start getting involved and to get involved with VoiceWorks magazine as well. So you are on Thursday Morning Breakfast, 3CR, 855 a.m., and we're going to go to another track. But just before we do that, um, I just wanted to let people know about an important action that is happening right now. So uh, this is an emergency Um, This is being shared by Tamil Refugee Council as well as others. Refugees and 501 detainees are being deported this morning from MITRE, that is at Broadmeadows, with the presumed destination of Christmas Island. And there's been a call for people to come down and to resist this move uh, and to stand in solidarity with detainees who are potentially facing deportation today. So that is at uh, Broadmeadows, MITRE, 120 to 150 Camp Road in Broadmeadows. People need to, yeah, come down, show up, show their support and um, hopefully make sure that people are not deported to Christmas Island. So, yeah, for anybody who can get down, uh, this is an urgent action and so uh, please do what you can and if you can't get there, please, you know, head to social media of people like Tamil Refugee Council, um, Refugee Action Collective uh, so that you can spread the word far and wide about this going on um, no borders, no nations, no deportations. Um, you know, we support refugee justice here. Um, and now we will go into a new track, and this was launched today. Uh, so this is Fresh Off the Press by Dobby and the Marindas. This is Walk Away. And I'm just going to chuck in a little language warning. Language warning. Kiss your mother with that mouth. I'm about to rattle up some cages, make some changes. Call me, call me Blasian. My culture ancient. I like pissing off a racist. I bet you hate this. Use addict clicking on my face. Bitch, you signed your waivers. Give a shout out to your neighbors as you plan this. Shit so catchy, it's contagious. Catching cases. Celebrated by these academics back in Cambridge. That's ironic, we still asking for repatriation. Who you mail that you came with? What's your nation? What's the land that you stand on? That's the Man, I swear we've been patient since invasion. Broad brushes that you paint with up on our faces on an everyday basis. Shit is shameless, laid upon a foundation. Say you saved us, call it mission education. Written with pages up in the book, I'll teach you gave us. Assimilators, and then you blame us. Goddamn, that's a bitch. Talking shit, you might be liable to catch a piss. You took the voice of my mortal worry people and you ripped it from our throat. Man, I swear I'm about to let them. But you tell me let it go 
They took away my language and you tell me let it go. They took away my culture and you tell me let it go. My generation coming and we're putting on a show. They want us all to go. You expect me to. Game and I broke my truth. Painful to save with an upright you. Body in the face looking just like you. Put a crown on my culture and all I do. I think about what the mob might do. Content away from an online view. Better get the name of the mob right too. All life in the racket with all my God. Vaccine and I call my shot. Wiped in the narrative, oh my gosh. Not happening on my watch. Got back down no matter the cost. I'ma get that stuff, keep it up. Don't stop going off like a bad track. I ain't taking no loss. Bigger than idiots, what do they know? Every day telling me, gotta let go. Sick and they reckon I'm gonna explode like a lot of men toes in a bottle of coke. I'ma get back and I get a control. I think you might be close, cause your mouth think like gonna My follow my cousin, my cool ya Gotta flag you chill like Janamine Ancestors gon' come out to play Please, please, get out the way Please, please, fill up the days Man, goddamn, what can I say? Damn, I pray for better days Living in Australia, L.I.A. Bobby Sanchez when I say See you genocide us genocide Then you us. colonize us Sterilize us Gentrify us I'm letting him know Matter of fact, never letting it go People telling me they do get it But I still feel like I'm loving your dark Body and go out of that with a little I take another look at my car. You tell me let it go. They took away my land and you tell me let it go. They took away my children and you tell me let it go. My generation coming and we're putting on a show. They want us all to go. You expect me to walk away. You expect me to And that was the brand new track that dropped just today, uh, Walk Away by Dobby and the Mirandas. Um, absolutely fantastic. Uh, massive banger. And you're listening to Thursday Morning Breakfast on 3CR 855am. Have you heard about 3CR's national programs? Coming at you on community radio stations around Australia, produced in the studios of 3CR Melbourne. Services will be cut, jobs may well be lost, and workers' entitlements will be undermined. Their basic human rights are as important as everyone else. Over 200 million years, individual species have evolved. I mean, birds were once dinosaurs. Anything nasty online seems to be targeted against women. Muckety is a bad deal, but muckety is absolutely not a done deal. You're listening to Women on the Line. Welcome again to Lost in Science. And welcome to another edition of the Radioactive Show. You've been listening to Earth Matters on the Community Radio Network. Hello and welcome to Accent of Women. Anarchist Wall this week. Listen to Beyond Zero, global warming science, solutions and action. You are listening to Let the Bands Play. Tune in to Stick Together, worker stories and union news. Grassroots Voice is broadcast weekly on the Community Radio Network. 
You're listening to Thursday Morning Breakfast on 3CR 855 AM. And we are just about to go into an interview with Tamar Hopkins, who joins us to speak about concerns with proactive policing operations by Victoria Police and attendant issues with accountability, scrutiny, and oversight. And Tamar is a lawyer and researcher who's worked in the area of police accountability, police powers, and racial profiling since 2005. And she's currently working for the Inner Melbourne Community Legal Centre on a COVID policing project. Tamar, thanks so much for joining us. No problem. Thanks for having me, Priya. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, So in our little rundown for the show, I did kind of mention as well that on the 15th of May, The Age reported on Victoria Police's Operation Alliance activities um, recently. And part of that reporting was saying that 300, quote, persons of interest had been questioned and 300 vehicles had been intercepted. Now, this seems like quite a large number of people to sort of catch up in an operation. Is this standard operational behavior? And um, I know you've raised concerns about the legality of this, so I'm wondering if you could take us through that. Yeah, sure. So, yeah, the age report seemed to indicate that these these kind of events had happened over a short space of time, so a few a few days. Um, And I mean, I guess I guess that kind of level of um, intensity is is kind of is because of the particular operation that they are conducting, but this kind of behaviour of of um, stopping people to to question them and to do these kind of um, intercepts is very much standard behaviour. And I just, I mean, what there there are so many huge issues involved with this. So I'll just start with the ra- with the random intercepts and the way they're mm-hmm. using this for this project. So. In Victoria, there are um, three reasons why the police can pull over a vehicle. One is if they witness an offence taking place. Secondly, if they're going to do a random intercept for the purpose of licence and registration checks, and that's all they can do. So the purpose of the stop is a licence and registration check. The third one is to collect to do a random um, breath uh, test. So those are the three reasons the police can pull over a vehicle. They cannot pull over a vehicle in order to investigate to see if the person may have committed an offence. So what we're seeing here is is the fact that they've attached these 300 random, random intercepts in the context of the Operation Alliance means that they're actually using these random intercepts for the purpose of investigating whether these people have committed an offence, offences that... Operational Alliance is interested in, so they are they are therefore saying that these are they're using these random intercepts as pretexts for an illegal purpose. So this is we're looking fundamentally at a, an, an operation that is using an illegal methodology to conduct um, the, the kind of investigations it's doing. And what's you know what's so extraordinary about this is that it's kind of this open admission in the paper about the way they are using these stops for these illegal purposes, and yet no one is batting an eyelid. And so, you know, this is very much kind of like because it is so standard and no one questions it, they get away with this kind of approach. So, and then going back to the issue of doing the um, the stops, the, the questioning of individuals, 300 people, of and, and the article described it as persons of interest, being questioned by the police. Now, again, police do not have the power to ask for a person to come back to the police station. Mm-hmm. In order to, to go back to a police station, you need to be arrested for a particular offence. And so the fact that these people are coming back 
for questioning means that they, they haven't been arrested. The police will be saying that they're volunteers coming back voluntarily to speak to the police at the station or on the, on the street. Mm. And what this, what this picks up is this idea that people can consent to police requests. When, if you actually look at the psychology of what goes on when a person on the street is stopped by a police officer, is so often they are placed in a position of psychological detention. So they are, they are aware that if they say no to these officers, they are at risk of physical harm. They are at risk of a arrest, of having um, spurious charges placed on them, of being searched. So this is a very psychologically coercive space that the police operate in and that they put pressure on people to come back to the police station to, to kind of answer in the context of, of using the, the tools they are trained in, the psychologically coercive tools that they are trained in. And this is, you know, we've, we've actually got sections under the Uniform Evidence Act that require police when they've put someone in a position of psychological detention to give them a caution, to warn them. And there's all sorts of case law coming from other other jurisdictions saying that they're actually, when someone is in a state of psychological detention, they are not able to consent. Mm-hmm. They're, they're, it's actually beyond their capacity to consent at that point. And so really, again, we're looking at a whole illegal practice, coercively forcing people to, to come and answer questions. And... This has really uh, huge ramifications. It particularly impacts people who are acutely um, targeted. Communities that are com- that are targeted by police mm. are likely um, are much more um, vulnerable to be coming under psychological detention because they know absolutely well that one step in the wrong direction leads is is hugely risky for them. Yeah. So uh, so this is these tactics are particularly. Uh, applied and um, have deleterious effects to targeted communities. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, this does kind of raise questions about both the, you know, the the information that people have about their rights and the, the right to say no, but also how that is compromised by the very situations that people are put in where they they feel like they can't say no because, um, you know, because of this sort of psychological detention that you've described. And I think Absolutely. also um, I was thinking about some of the reporting as well um, in the age. And I also looked at that original um, the, the police, uh, Victoria Police's media release about this. And I mean, it does also raise some questions about the, the readily reproduced media releases across a lot of um, a lot of. Australian media where there isn't yeah. necessarily the sort of journalistic investigation into into whether these issues um, deserve a greater scrutiny. Um, so I'm also wondering if you could take us through some of the mechanisms by which sort of proactive policing occurs uh, by Victoria Police and some of the specific concerns about its use in relation to youth and particularly non-white youth, because I can yeah. imagine there are some significant human rights and privacy concerns at play. And you've already touched on this a little bit in your previous response mm, yeah yeah that's right absolutely so so that's right it's um, it it turns out that it is it's a standard um, practice of police to 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 use vehicle intercepts to target um, to target vulnerable populations and 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 particularly um, people of racialized people so there's there's kind of and I'm actually really hoping to release a whole lot of data on this um, from from some research that I've been doing. But because we have 
these, uh, and I guess I guess Victoria is is really a wild west in terms of police powers. Having looked now at how these police powers are regulated in other parts of the world and other parts of Australia, we, there is much more scrutiny applied via the courts in New South Wales and South Australia to the police use of these proactive powers. In Victoria, they they use them all the time. Um, and they're not they're, they use them for whatever purpose they they wish to. So we don't have the kind of level of court scrutiny that's required, mm-hmm. and this means that these tactics could be used absolutely as a tool by police to target the usual suspects, the people that they're interested in targeting. And it's got nothing to do with whether or not those people are committing crimes. It's all about how how they appear and whether they are kind of in suspect communities according to, to kind of police police know um, police kind of yeah understanding mm-hmm. of who they should be targeting. And these are really long term understandings, these basic rules of who is a suspect. It's got very little bearing on any kind of reality and are, and are really kind of about um, stereotypes that have applied over decades, over centuries mm-hmm. as to who is Kind of the, the tar- should be the targets of policing. So the fact that we have these proactive strategies that don't require police to identify an offence before they interact with people, but actually can can kind of use them whenever they want, mean that we that we grant them through our lenient sort of legal system, legal structures, powers to kind of engage in racial profiling and and kind of uh, and, and targeting of vulnerable populations. So mm. it's a really hugely problematic methodology and it's not one that our courts here in Victoria are grappling with and it's certainly not one that our oversight systems are even interested in. Yeah. And I think this is this is kind of a, a really critical issue because you know we have I mean so a big IBAC has just re- released a report yesterday looking at Aboriginal um, complaints handled by the police, and they have discovered, uh, unsurprisingly, that 20, 22% of the files that the police had um, contain evidence of bias um, and lack of impartiality. IBAC found that 27 of the 41 files that they looked at should have resulted in substantiated findings but only the police only found three resulted mm-hmm. in substantiated findings. So we have a system where the police are doing these investigations and they are doing it really, really badly. And we've got, you know, clear IVAC report yesterday about that. And yet these, these are, I mean, this is the tip of the iceberg because so many Aboriginal people do not lodge complaints because they know the system is police investigating police. And then... So we've got an issue of like lack of trust when when they're assault complaints like this, but when they're methodology complaints like I'm describing, just the standard practice of what the police do constantly, and it, and these lead to kind of people feeling like they're constantly under surveillance by the police. They cannot leave their house without risking being stopped by the police. They cannot drive down you know, areas without knowing that they're going to be, you know, at their risk of being stopped. So these these are these are kind of police activities that frame people's lives, that kind of mean that they are living kind of in this surveillance state of being permanently kind of, you know, targeted. So these are things that IBAC are not even not even considering. So the the serious, you know, assault complaints, we know Victoria police are failing at really badly. But these, these whole methodology issues are not even taken into account. And yet that's kind of really daily practice that 
that that tells people what their status is mm. in this society. Yeah. You know, those things are not being considered. Yeah, so, yeah. absolutely. And I think that the way that you framed it there as well about this being an important part of the way that I guess like racial hierarchies and social hierarchies are structured in society requires, uh, you know, allowing police to engage in these practices of proactive policing uh, without significant oversight or with quite weak regulation, really. Um, So I'm wondering what needs to change with regards to oversight and accountability here? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So there is a current inquiry going on into um, police oversight in Victoria. And um, so the community legal centres across Victoria have been calling for the independent independent investigation of police complaints. So that's really, really critical. But we need... We, there's all this evidence. Just yesterday, the IBAC report releasing evidence that police are biased, they're failing in their investigation of, of complaints. So we need an independent system. But not only that, we need a system that will look at these everyday policing methodologies that, and we'll kind of... We'll, we'll recognise that... These are where daily human rights abuses are occurring and this is where, you know, we need independent oversight. It's not good enough to leave this to the police. They're going to do whatever they can. Like, that's that's what they do. Like, they get away with this stuff because no one is oversighting them. There's no monitoring of these kinds of behaviours. It's just accepted that that's, you know, police get to choose whatever methodology they want. And that is not good enough. Like, it's... We need oversight that is actually monitoring these everyday human rights abuses that are going on. So that's what what we need is a wholesale system change in in what the, the focus of the oversight body is, and also who is doing the investigation of these complaints. Mm. And and really, it's about you know the, we need we don't just need them to be tr- triggered by complaints. Like we don't need an individual who's stopped on the on the street by the police to lodge a complaint. There should be activity, you know, just on the basis of reports like we've seen in the media. That that should trigger them to go, hey, we need to look at this operation, see what's going on, see, you know, how the methodologies are actually affecting people on the street. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think, like, the idea that there needs to be a certain threshold for action um, has really proved to be... a, a quite an ineffective way of approaching this when, you know, for example, we see in coronial inquests into um, death of Aboriginal people in custody, um, a consistent concern that has been raised is the issue of police investigating police and the fact that there really doesn't seem to be robust oversight mechanisms. Um, you know, these these uh, practices can continue happening because there is nothing actually taking the police to task in uh, in a systemic transformative way. Um, so just to wrap up, you're running a study into COVID policing at the moment with Inner Melbourne Legal Service Youth Law, the Police Accountability Project and the Victorian Aboriginal Legal Service. So can you quickly tell us a bit about this project and where people can find out more? Yeah, sure. Um, so this is a project that is investigating people's experiences of being stopped by police in relation to potential COVID offending. So um, if anyone out there has had an experience of being stopped over the last few years by the police and questioned in relation to kind of COVID offending, whether they're out of area, um, you know, w- w- what they're doing, where they where they live, and it's related to a COVID 
matter. We would really like to hear from you about what that experience was like. Um, and so with, there's a, a survey that's online and if you uh, put into Google Inner Melbourne Legal Community Legal and Policing Health Survey, you will be able to find the, the link to the survey. So that's Inner Melbourne Community Legal and Policing Health Survey should take you to where the, the survey is online and we'd love we'd love to hear from you about your experiences, just exactly what happened. So it shouldn't take too long and it would be it would be really fantastic for us to get that information. Yeah, absolutely. And we can put a link to that in our show notes as well. We'll encourage people to have a look, check out the survey and fill it out if they can. Um, it's really important work. And I think, you know, once again, kind of speaks to uh, the massive amount of work that needs to go into, I guess, like proving stuff that we all fundamentally know at a common sense level to be true. Racial profiling does exist. Um, you know, people have been subject to an illegitimate use of uh, police powers in a lot of cases under, you know, COVID policing rules and people's rights have been infringed upon in a variety of different ways. And so this also, I don't know, every time I think about this, I'm like the sort of bureaucratic mechanisms that keep people um, stuck in these loops of proving things that we all know in our hearts to, to be true. Um, but it's such important work nonetheless because it does kind of document very clearly um, some of these serious issues that that stem from a lack of oversight, accountability and sort of overreach of police powers. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Look, Tamar, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today. I really appreciate you spelling out some of these issues about proactive policing and uh, once again encourage people to look up Inner Melbourne Community Legal Centre to take that COVID policing quiz. Great. Thank you so much, Priya. All right. And that was Tamar Hopkins, who joins us to speak about concerns with proactive policing operations by Victoria Police and attendant issues with accountability, scrutiny and oversight. And Tamar is a lawyer and researcher who's worked in the area of police accountability, police powers and racial profiling since 2005. And as we just discussed, she's currently working for the Inner Melbourne Community Legal Centre on a COVID policing project. Earth Greetings have been making sustainable beautiful since 2003. Their 100% recycled cards, plastic-free stationery and earth-friendly gifts are made in Australia with the lightest possible planetary footprint. Shop online at earthgreetings.com.au or at one of over 500 stockists Australia-wide. Earth Greetings is a 3CR supporter. All right, that's about all we've got time for today on today's uh, Thursday breakfast show on 3CR 855 AM. So uh, do you want to take it away with our rundown? Yes, uh, we first heard from Mercedes for the raucous anti-caucus online symposiums um, and about the trilateral security pact. Yep, and afterwards we heard speakers from Free Palestine's Melbourne Nakba Day and Justice for Shireen Abu Akleh rally, which was last Sunday. And then we were joined by graphic designer Selena Rapanis, who is running a graphic design as world building workshop uh, tomorrow at 12 p.m. online. Yep, and there'll be information about that on our site. And finally, we were joined by Tamar Hopkins about concerns with proactive policing by Victoria Police. That's all we've got time for on today's show. Thank you so much for joining us as usual, and we'll see you next week. Bye. 3CR Breakfast would like to thank the New International Bookshop. Melbourne's independent radical bookstore and venue for their financial support of this program. You can find Nibs in the basement of Trades Hall in Victoria Street, Carlton. 
While you're there, check out Radical Coffee, a worker-run cooperative cafe in the courtyard. Keep up to date with upcoming events at nibs.org.au. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.